Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello to everyone. Thanks for tuning in on this glorious day here in Johannesburg. This is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Timbele, and thank you for allowing me to be in your space as we continue to provide you, the beloved listener, thought-provoking and insightful commentary and analysis on some of the country's topical issues. We're now left with about a week to before our local government elections, which I believe are going to be highly contested. The AG's report is really clear in terms of the levels of, of dysfunctionalities in municipalities. If my memory serves me well, we've got about 278 municipalities and only 38 municipalities are deemed to be in a good financial state. This is a shamble. This is a complete mess in my view, which means we only have about 13% of these municipalities that are in good health. What does it really mean? Over and above the limited fiscal exposure which many municipalities have, the age is also very clear about the level of corruption and incompetence. This is why the service deliveries are not rendered, in, especially in poor communities. The sustainable solution is to provide job opportunities for people to start paying for those services and address corruption, staggering level of incompetence. But in the meantime, what do we do? Because these are systemic issues that need to be unraveled over a period of time. In my view, we, we, the municipalities need to attend to the basics because they don't have much money. They've got very limited resources as, as the bulk of the resources that are being channeled to salaries, which means less money on maintenance and, and upgrading of ailing infrastructure. If the status quo remains, as it were, the gains of yesteryear are going to be eroded and politicians and administrators, in my view, need to learn not to punch above their weight because they really raise our due expectation. Anyway, this is my view. As we move away from the reflection, we are talking about the impact of COVID-19 pandemic in the education system, which, by the way, that includes the private sector schools. I'm joined by the Executive Director of Independent Association of Schools in South Africa, Lebuha Monchani. I must declare I've known Lebuha for some years back at Vets University because we both at Vets at some point. I also must declare that I've had the privilege of working with his parents. Back then, I was relatively very energetic young man with loads and loads of energy. Some might argue that I've had misguided energy. But moving forward, I mean, Three decades down the line, I don't think I'm still wet behind my ears, and I certainly don't think I have misguided energy as it were. Moving along, cutting out to our conversation with Lebuha Wenchan, as I've alluded to slightly a second ago, is the impact of COVID-19 in the education system, which include the private school. We know for the fact that, you know, COVID-19 has had adverse impact in terms of significant loss of teaching time. Resources have been stretched to the maximum. A lot of people have lost their jobs. And when you look at the public education space, as it were, the Department of Basic Education had to trim the curriculum, but, you know, in order to bring this system back on its trail, but it's not enough. In addition to this quagmire, we are dealing with a number of social ills, which further, in my view, undermines the quality of teaching and learning. Here I'm talking about touching of schools. Believe it or not, we've had instances where schools have been touched. Uh, we're dealing with another social ill in the form of uh, teenage pregnancies and the resurgence of HIV and AIDS, uh, which the country still needs to educate youth on. These are very complex and complicated social ills which further 
put the strain on educations as, as it were. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to bring in Lebukhan Mujani, who is the Executive Director at ISASA. Lebukhan, good morning and welcome to Beyond Governance. Good morning, Nimrod. Uh, thank you very much for having me and good morning to your listeners. As I've painted in my prelude, I've sort of painted the picture of how the COVID-19 has impacted on education. Perhaps maybe a step back and just give us an overall sense of what is ISASA for listeners who may not be in the, in the know. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, ISASA is the Independent Schools Association of Southern Africa. We are the largest and most representative uh, schools association and also the old, oldest. So we are not only a membership organization based in South Africa, we've got membership in Lesotho, Botswana, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, Mauritius, um, <clears throat> Angola, uh, as well as Mozambique. So we span most of Southern Africa and our schools really range from no fee schools to quite high fee schools. And also about 60% of our members are, uh, no, sorry, let me correct that. About 40% of our members receive a state subsidy. Great stuff. It's good to know about that kind of a background for it. It also puts our conversation in context for, uh, clearly there's a varying, uh, categories of schooling within the private school sector, but which obviously leads to my next question around the impact of COVID-19 in the curriculum delivery. What has been the impact in your assessment, Nebuchadnezzar? Nemrod, let me tell you what has been interesting is that last year was a very difficult year for us at Tisasa and also all of education. The first question that we had to ask ourselves as a member-based organization and as independent schools is that our schools are fee-dependent. So last year when we had the hard lockdown, some of our three-term schools, especially here in Gauteng, had about two weeks of school left. And then actually, fortunately for our four-term schools that follow uh, more mirror the state uh, school calendar, for those schools, they had, uh, they were about to go uh, on holiday. So what we immediately understood is that as fee-based schools, because if you don't teach, you don't get paid, we really needed to become quite innovative. So thankfully what we did, and thanks to the internet, we push very hard for our schools to move online. We have found that actually online classrooms have uh, been uh, teaching and learning on online and having classrooms that way, we did not lose any school days. So even for our low-fee schools that didn't have access with internet, they used WhatsApp to do lessons. Some of our schools dropped off lesson packs at shopping malls, which were still available, so people could pick them up. So we saw really a lot of innovation in the sector. But I must say, Namrod, what has happened before is that we've spoken for a long time, especially in the 21st century, about what we call flipped classrooms. The idea that ultimately that when you're in the classroom, you're actually dealing with the material rather than trying to um, uh, dealing with the material after students have read the material. And now we actually have seen that reality come to, to, to fruition. So we, we move very rapidly and very successfully to online learning. And as a result, we did not lose any school days and we also, we did not lose any uh, time or cut the curriculum. Would you hear how uh, a private school has responded to the very challenging uh, situation that we've experienced? Uh, this is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrat Mbele. 
Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. If you've just joined uh, us, uh, this is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Timbele. I'm joined by Lebuha Monchani, who is the Executive Director at Isasa, basically unpacking the impact of COVID-19 as it relates to how it has obviously affected uh, the private schooling system. Interestingly, Lebuhang Monjani here is giving us a very interesting perspective in terms of how the majority, if not all of, of the schooling fraternity in the private sector did not lose either the teaching times, did not lose the schooling days, for they've sort of moved into online schooling system, as it were. Lebuhang Coming back to the idea of going online, majority of your constituencies, if not all your constituencies, were able to integrate, I suppose, familiarize with, with the system. What sort of challenges did you experience? Because it's not like you just pressing the button uh, on the wall and we think there's light and there's dim. I would imagine there would have been, there still are uh, challenges. What sort of challenges did you experience in migrating from face-to-face kind of environment more online because some of the views that you might express or will express have potential lessons for the broader public schools. Do you know, Rimnod, I have to begin with really the heroes in this story, and that are the teachers. Really, the biggest challenge that we faced is that our teachers were really burning uh, the candle, let's say, proverbially, on, on, on both ends. Here you are having to teach lessons online, and then on the other side, you're trying to look after your own children who may also be online. Obviously, the other big issue in our country is the cost of broadband, and that is something that we noted quite quickly, especially when we compare ourselves to places like India. The cost of internet is far, far too, of data is far too high in our country. And um, so that is something that we certainly saw as a challenge, but also, as I indicated, our teachers having to work double the time. And so what we actually did, and I must say, I must commend uh, the service providers here, we approached MTN and Vodacom being the two big internet data providers, and they gave us this, a similar deal that they had given to the universities. But also, let's talk about our lower fee schools. Not everybody had access to a device. So really what has now become very clear that in the modern age, even after COVID, hopefully that ends quite quickly, there are three things that we have to worry about. You have to have a device, you have to have connectivity, and also you've got to have data. So I've already spoken about the data issue, but not all households could be able to give every single child a device or some of our low-fee schools had to deal with issues of data costs. So they had to improvise, and that's why I talked about they did work packs that they delivered and they used uh, WhatsApp as a method of delivery for their lessons. But as you know, on the uh, on the other side, that we're dealing with children in the human condition here. So obviously, often students may switch off their uh, cameras and teachers do not know whether they're in school or not in school or listening or not listening. But I think that really when we look at, um, you know, as they say, crisis is a call for necessity. By necessity, we had to do go that route. And I think that we are able to manage quite well. But really, I want to go back to this point. Our teachers worked hard. They were extremely exhausted last year after having to try and teach 
whilst being at home and looking after their own families. Which brings me to a very interesting point under those circumstances. Firstly, they've been exposed to pretty much unfamiliar territory, which must have had enormous psychosocial impact, the morale and how the fatigue. So, I mean, I we do know for a fact that in a public schooling environment, there's a lot of demand for psychosocial support for teachers, for they've been exposed to extraordinary stress um, uh, condition. What would you say has been uh, the, the support, psychosocial support, if any, for teachers who have been exposed to this strenuous condition, as it were? Wow, Nimrod, that's really, really a great point. Uh, and you really have touched on the real zeitgeist of the moment around the world. Wellness has become such a huge, huge issue. Uh, not only are we talking about fatigue, isolation from friends and family, we're also talking about the loss of loved ones to the pandemic or people uh, getting the virus and getting low COVID. So really, wellness has become a huge, huge issue. So you're absolutely right in asking that question. So I have to here give credit to our heads association, which is Sahisa, which is a constituent member of ISASA. And really here what happened is that the chair of that organization, Lynn Heidman, took a real issue and took a lead in terms of wellness for heads. They used to meet on Fridays, talk about the challenges that they're facing and really sharing. Information is so, so helpful, especially when people are isolated and they are going through difficulties. But then we at Isasa realized that, look, this is not limited actually to heads. It is right through the school. It's impacting our bursars who are running finances and, you know, people having lost their jobs, as you spoke about at the beginning of, of this interview, and also other people not, if they haven't lost their jobs, some people's salaries were quite cut quite significantly. So it really was a very, very difficult time, not only for our teachers, our school communities, but more importantly, also families that had to deal with these issues as well. So Isasa, um, uh, at the beginning of this year, decided to hire up a wellness uh, provider um, <clears throat> called Reality Wellness, and we've signed up with them. And they provide wellness support and psychosocial support for all our schools. And when I mean all, I mean not only in South Africa, but all over uh, Southern Africa. So anybody who is working at an Isasa school or their families they can access this resource for social support. They deal with issues of loss, uh, depression, divorce, death, and as I've indicated with loss there. So really that's one of the benefits that we've now put in as a benefit of ISASA membership. Schools are not paying more money for it, but it's actually something that we had to do quite um, quickly. And now it's going to be an embedded part of what we offer our schools. And I really must say that I know how many people have suffered uh, during this very difficult time. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. This is Nimrod Mbele, and I'm joined by Lebukhan Monjani, who is the uh, Executive Director at ISASA. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. It's amazing how time flies when you really have an interesting conversation. My name is Nimrat Tembele. I'm joined by Lebohan Wanjan, who is an executive director at ISASA, and we are really unpacking the impact of COVID-19 as it relates to the private schooling fraternity and extent to which the 
are grappling or succeeding in addressing some of those challenges. Uh, one of the biggest issues that we are addressing at the moment, or at least talking about, is the mental wellness. We do know that psychologically, uh, students, learners, parents, uh, bursars, associate heads have had some kind of loss which had to be dealt with. Parents have lost their jobs. Resources have been dwindling and continue to dwindle. Interestingly, uh, Isasa has had innovative ways and means to address this very complex issue around the state of mind. I would imagine online it's useful, but we, as human beings, we are creatures of habit and we want to mingle with our peers. We want to mingle with our loved ones. And online, it's, it's, it's almost like a solution, but is it sustainable? That's another big question. But Lubukhan, coming back to very interesting issues that you have raised, what has been, at least you have articulated the, the response to uh, psychosocial needs of the teachers, the bases. One biggest call, in, at least in my mind, are the learners. How accessible? Can you take us to what has been done for learners to elevate the, the adverse mental health because I'm sure it must have brought so many anxieties. What has been the approach? Or is it because the service provider that you've brought upstream, did they also cater for learners? Take us through that, please. I must say that what also something, actually, when you're talking about the challenges, we really realize that actually children really love being in school. And not, and also, but also something that we noticed is that not all children actually missed being in school. So we saw some children really thriving on with online, and I think that that is what, but that going online made them thrive academically and being at home well for them. But then we saw really for the vast, vast majority of children that being in school is actually the best thing for them. This is something that we really are cognizant of, especially um, as the independent schooling sector, and the and in terms of how you know so much of so many of our school, of our children in our country in public schools have not been back in school, and that is the right thing to do, and that's why we supported government's push to get children back to school. And so what we did do though is that obviously is that as we ended uh, as we uh, intimated earlier, Nimrod, is that. This thing is cyclical. So we've got high, you know, so we've had a, a hard lockdowns and uh, we have a hard lockdown. But after that, really, children have generally been able to be in school. So that is where I think that as children have been able to manage because we have pushed as a country and correctly so to keep them in school. And because many independent schools are able to continue with the social distancing, we were able to get our, school, our children back to school as soon as possible. But actually, as an anecdote, one of uh, the teachers in our membership had uh, two daughters. One thrived with online learning, did not miss the interaction in the class environment. The second daughter missed her friends so much that um, the parents actually needed to do like a, a date to see it so that this child could see their friend and they went, you know, shopping. So they could have a social distance gathering uh, uh, between the two children. So really, I think that for us, what we have seen, though, is that for psychosocial support and wellness for children, the best place for them is the classroom. And we have managed to do that. Another thing that COVID has done to impact our schools was obviously the prohibition at some stages of not being able to do sports or co-curricular activities such as singing uh, and choir practices. 
So I think that that is something that we really heard from membership, that children miss sports. In fact, one of our more well-known boarding schools, uh, which is in all boarding schools, at the beginning of every year, they make uh, children uh, run around uh, the field or, or several times to check on the health of children. And they found that, you know, generally about 10% of children are not able to complete the run. After COVID, they found about 60% of children simply could not complete that run. So in terms of health, all of us becoming more of a sedentary and becoming couch potatoes, that is another impact that COVID has actually had, not only on adults, but children as well. So we are really pleased that now sports can begin. And also on Saturday, we are able to send out a notification to our South African members that spectators are now also allowed. And that's the other thing, you know, uh, parents are passionate about seeing their children uh, playing sports or uh, participating in co-curriculars. And that's a thing that COVID has actually denied families. So children, parents have not been able to see their children develop as athletes or as musicians, or as actors. So really that is something that we had to deal with. But in terms of psychosocial support, the greatest place for children to get well and to feel better is to be in school. I couldn't agree with you more on that particular point, uh, for, you know, the kids have lost so much because part of also growing, it's based on or is linked to Interactions. The more uh, kids interact in class, interact in the, in, in the sports field, um, they, they, they grow because there's a lot of um, socialization that is taking place, a lot of ideas that have been stimulated, and just generally that's who we are as human being species. But coming back to what I'll call the you know the, the Goliath challenge, um, it's around accessibility of data in the schooling system, in as much as MTN and Vodacom has been supposedly extending an, an olive branch by giving ISASA similar deals with universities, to what extent do you think this is sustainable? This is just obviously a tip of an aspect. The ideal situation is obviously the release of, of spectrum. Uh, you know, if the spectrum has been released, would have more and more participants. You can participate in, in that particular field, and hopefully the cost of data will drop down. To what extent are you guys lobbying just beyond an olive branch kind of scenario that you've seen through MTN and Vodacom by giving you deals that are similar to universities? When I was negotiating with both of those companies, both MTN and Vodacom, I was like, you know, the real businesses that succeeded under COVID and grew were obviously telecommunications companies and online businesses. And we'll also find that big box businesses are now moving onto online because that's really the future, Nimrod. I must say that that is something that we are keen uh, for us to be able to make sure that we now start to reduce data to benefit everybody. And I think that, um, you know, we have tried to raise this with the National Department of Education, but certainly if anybody is out there and we're lobbying this and has a contact with ICASA, that is something that we need to deal with as a whole as South Africans. We need to reduce the uh, the, the data uh, prices in our country because they really are too high. You know, the interesting when I was saying that when we looked at India, India could go on to online learning very, very quickly uh, and therefore it was so affordable because the data costs are so low that they did not have the same challenges that we do have. And I think that, as you correctly intimate, uh, Nimrod, 
this is an ongoing issue. It's not something that can just be left. No, now that uh, COVID is over, we need to leave it alone. So we really are advocating that we, um, that, you know, on public platforms, I'm always raising this issue as well. Thank you very much for that insightful. I think it's very useful to hear multiple of voices pushing for reduction of data for, uh, it's, it's become a currency, you know, because we all know that because COVID has sort of, um, accentuated the class system in the country. We've got the privileged families and households, and we've got the less privileged families and households. And where you're talking cost of data, this is certainly, uh, without any shadow of doubt, increase the class structure in the society. We've got inequalities are definitely going to grow as a result of, you know, COVID-19 for it has meant access to data, access to devices, access to online kind of goodies that very few can only, can only afford. So it is important um, as a country that we are cognizant of inequalities that existed before uh, COVID-19, which are likely to be perpetuated beyond COVID-19. And I would imagine uh, ISAS obviously as a very strategic uh, role player in the broader spectrum of the economy, we seem to bring in the vast majority of the schooling system, which sits in the public sector, as it were. Which leads to my next question, Nubukhang. What is the role of ISASA in bringing in or supporting the less privileged schools? We've got, you know, instances where certain schools have been adopted or there are excursions or there are sharing of information between and amongst teachers. Can you just take us through the extent to which ISASA is extending its status to accommodate or at least alleviate the strain of the less fortunate schools. No, thank you for that question, Nimrod. That's something that we also dealt with as ISASA last year, and I must commend our schools for this. We then created a portal on the ISASA website. It's not behind the firewall of resources that schools can use and pupils can use. And so we loaded up all of that information. So many of our curriculum at many of our schools are up there on this portal. So I really must encourage people to go to sasa.org and go and access that information. Again, what I'm saying is that it's important for us to re-emphasize this as well. This has not only got to do with COVID. This is a portal that we now are sharing so that people, especially last year, when we were worried about the matriculants being able to finish their matric, now we have a resource that is accessible to anywhere in South Africa or actually around the world to access those resources for to our system. And so parents can go and look at those resources, teachers in the public schools as well, and pupils as well. So we that is what we did as our little part uh, during a very difficult time. Thank you very much for that insight, Abhang. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrat Timbele, and I'm joined by Lebohang Munjan, who is an executive director at ISASA. We are just going through some of the turbulences that we've been brought on by COVID-19 and extent to which the private schooling fraternity is trying to navigate its way out of this unprecedented and unparalleled environment that we have seen through uh, COVID-19. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. It's amazing how time flies when you really have an interesting and thought-provoking conversation, which I certainly believe benefits the listener 
And for all of us, one way or the other, we've been affected or infected by madness of pandemic called COVID-19. Before we just took that snippet um, or break, Lebuchang was giving us a good sense of the extent to which Isasa, it's big to alleviate or the impact of COVID-19 by bringing in their resource or extending their resource reach to poorer communities. I think it's laudable, Lebuchang, in so many ways because we, we cannot have uh, an island of success in a sea of poverty. We know that South Africa is one of the most unequal societies in the world. Um, and in education is at the heart of economic recovery. We cannot promote education for the vast majority of people. Uh, I mean, SASA is about what a percent or two percent of the entire education system. So this idea of bringing in and extending the olive branch is so critical, not for SASA, but for the country as a whole. That's the key message that I would want to extend to the likes of ISASA and any other private organization for the bulk majority of people who are less fortunate, uh, not because they wanted to, because we've been downgraded, that's one consideration. Uh, there are issues with our labor law consideration. There's issues around globalization, and th- there's just too many variables, which means collaboration is the essence of pretty much the basis in which we could all put our heads together and address the bigger issue, because education is that kind of vehicle through which we can have South Africa as the Singapore of this world, Taiwan of this world, and so on and so forth. So that's very important, Elbaham, your view on that. You know, I'm glad that you asked that again, Nimrod. So we really are committed as a sector, and our member schools are really committed to make sure that they share in their privilege uh, with those who are less fortunate. One of the um, uh, programs, which is really what is um, an important program to us, is uh, we've got a program called SAMSTIP, uh, the South African Mathematics Teacher Internship Program. And SAMSTIP is in a partnership between the Department of Basic Education, Investec Bank, and ISASA. There we are focusing on producing maths and science teachers. So the Department of Basic Education provides Funzalishaka scholarships uh, that those so those students who are doing getting Funzalishaka scholarships are able to come into our schools and do initial teacher training on an um in within our schools. And so we partner with that and Investec supports us uh, in terms of financing this program from an ISASA perspective. So we do see the importance of creating and building new teachers, new type of teachers, but more importantly, and as you're so well informed, Nimrod, many of our schools do not offer mathematics as a subject in high schools. So we've got a shortage of maths and science teachers. So we as ISASA having... um doing relatively well in maths and science, feel it an obligation to assist government in this way. And our country, more important, not only government, but really our country. So that is something that is one of our um, leading programs that we really, pre- that we have focused on and that we are very proud to be contributing in our own small way. But beyond ISASA um, uh, and uh, that program, Many of our schools offer Saturday classes for students to prepare them for matric. And I think those programs have existed well, even during apartheid, some of them have been opened. We've got, t- we've got many, many of our schools doing those kinds of things. 
And it's also been a, a multinational organization, has a, a, has collaborations around the world. So we meet on a regular basis with our counterparts from uh, New Zealand, Australia, England, uh, Scotland, Canada, and the United States. And what really differentiates, differentiates us as a country um, and our membership is that unlike other countries where people do charity work and they go out into the world and they do so-called charity work, we put resources and we bring people into our schools. Um, and I really must commend many of our, especially our more well-resourced schools, share resources, not only with public schools around them, but sometimes even with lower fee schools in their, uh, who are within ISASA. So we really do reflect society, we reflect its challenges, and do not run away from them as a sector, but go out there and try and make sure that we're doing our part in sharing what we do know and what we have. I must commend our membership on that. But really for us, as Isasa, and that, that teacher intern program is these students are in our schools as well. So really that's something that we really are proud of. We're really grateful to government partnering with us to let us, to, 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 to enable us to, to help in this way. And obviously Investec as bank as well, because without their assistance, we would not have been able to do what we're doing, um, in terms of building and training up new type of teachers. And I must add, Namrod, these teachers are being trained to go into the public school system. They are not being trained to come into Isasa schools. So that is what we are doing uh, in addition to what I mentioned in terms of putting up our curricula app on our portal. These are very exciting views and observation from where I'm sitting. I certainly hope the listener is able to comprehend the extent to which ISASA is being defined as a good corporate citizen. Because if you consider yourself as a good corporate citizen, you need to be cognizant of the socio-economic issues that are bedeviling the country. And from that end, you need to be seen uh, actively making, actively taking decisions or defining or designing programs that address those specific challenges that have been experienced by the broader community. You raise a very pertinent issue, Lebechang, that we don't have sufficient, at least in the public sector, we do not have sufficient pedigree of teachers in math and science. And the extent to which you've got your partner Investec to try and lessen these kinds of challenges. What has been the challenges in that particular respect or what has been the successes of bringing in these kinds of programming to ensure that we have sufficient quantum in math and science, let alone languages, math and science, so that the system, education system, is able to produce sufficient engineers, doctors, and anybody who's working in a natural science fraternity. To what extent, perhaps give us an insight on the success of this particular program and how it can be emulated elsewhere to ensure that We've got sufficient quantum, as I pointed out earlier. Yes, Namrod. I think that what we're having is that that is a big discussion actually happening uh, within uh, service providers who are doing teacher internship programs. What we've also seen is that previously uh, uh, non-profit organizations and donor funding had actually been directed, let's say, for example, a, a student to attend a school uh, to do well. 
Now the real discussion within the um, NGO sector is uh, the argument of what they call whole school development. So what we are now seeing increasingly is that we are not the only players in teacher development. We're seeing other people in teacher development. But we also more recently have seen our president, Sir Ramaphosa, initiate ways in which how do we actually get young people into the job market? We have really not done very well as a country in getting children into the job market. And also even people who have gone to university are struggling to find work. And I think that the statistics do show that, a research rather, and the statistics show that if you have not started working by the age of 30, you're highly unlikely to actually uh, become, uh, to enter the job market. So the discussion now nationally is how with what Sir President Sir Ramaphosa was doing in terms of putting uh, students in uh, that youth uh, development program of bringing students into schools. How do we maybe think about that program in terms of creating new types of teachers uh, uh, based on the experience of Isasa being really the first to run this type of program uh, on a national level? So those discussions are happening to try and scale that so that we can get more p- uh, children and more teachers, hopefully, in, in the maths and sciences. But actually, Nimrod, it's not only maths and science, actually, which is a problem. The other shortage in our country, qualified teachers in indigenous languages. And the problem with that is that you cannot expect good educational outcomes if children are not being initially taught in their own indigenous languages and that you can then transition into English more, uh, uh, in a more structured way. So that is something else that we are now starting to discuss and look at at Disasa. How do we assist in producing more teachers who are well qualified to be able to teach indigenous languages other than Afrikaans? I couldn't agree with you more, um, Earlier on, I pointed out that it does maths and science and languages. I'm glad you raised the language issue in that we do need qualified and competent teachers who would teach in those particular, you know, vernaculars. You're talking Sesotho, Sikosa, you name it, of all the 11 languages. So we do need a more systemic approach, uh, you know, to that kind of a fraternity, which it won't come cheap uh, because you still have to reproduce the material. It's about preparing a cohort of teachers for the 21st century using indigenous language or material and you still have to that, that takes a long and it's a very costly exercise which unfortunately must be done if we are to become a competitive country uh, in the world so it's quite interesting to see how isasa is partnering with dbe partnering with other ngos and the private sector to promote the african languages as a medium of instruction so that we are able to elevate Technology, I mean, there's no way in which you could have technology or greater science if you don't have a solid foundation, which is based on home languages, as it were. Your take on that? No, exactly. And I think that that is something that we're seeing that uh, the National Department of Education is looking at uh, as closely. And also the other thing that we are, uh, that the department is looking at is, you know, how do we teach literacy? Because if you do not teach literacy properly, you cannot actually learn the other subjects. So that is another thing that uh, that um, we're hoping 
and to see national government um, dealing with uh, quite uh, significantly. I know the president wants us to become a teaching, a reading nation, but really it is important that we teach literacy properly. And that's something that also that we as Isasa uh, would just say that we've got the, we've got um, we've got the re- the skills and the resources. So certainly, if government is interested or anyone uh, in this questions of how do we start to make sure that we're getting the children to be reading at the right level is something that we as Isasa are more than willing to put up our hands uh, to assist with. Thank you very much for that insight, Lebuchan Wenchadi. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9. Hi, FM. This is Nimrod Mel. I'm joined by Lebuchan Wenchadi, who is an executive director at Isasa. We literally have about a minute uh, to before we conclude our very thought-provoking and insightful conversation with Lebuchan Wenchadi. Lebuchan, part in short, where do you see Isasa immediate future? The immediate future, I think, for us is that, Nimrod, the sector has grown significantly until COVID. Now we are seeing a, a significant slowdown in terms of enrollments because obviously we are having uh, not only are we having immigration, but people have lost their jobs. And when we looked at um, we do market research for our schools, we saw that the number of people who are earning seven hundred fifty thousand rands or more in actual numbers are declining. So what we're going to see now for Isasa and our member schools is a period of consolidation uh, before we grow. And we're also seeing that there is sometimes in certain areas oversupply uh, of schools with a reduction in demand. So really what we're trying to assist our schools with is to position in de- quality independent education in a position that will make them to be able to be sustainable moving forward. And I think as we've talked about the, right through this hour, it is important that we continue as we, as you've intimated, not to be an island of privilege in a country of need and make sure that we're doing the best that we can to share our resources, especially our know-how and our ability to go online when um, when there's a hard lockdown, back to school and back and forth. So we have now got those skills and we're going to now see, I think, moving forward, the online platform is going to be used very creatively by schools, not only in South Africa, but around the world. Thank you very much, Lebuchang, for that insight. And uh, from where we are sitting, we can only hope, we can only wish you nothing but the best in your future endeavors while you are consolidating the ISASA fraternity, for it is a very important player uh, in the country. We hopefully, I'm very optimistic that once we get the economy back on its rail, we're more likely to get to a space where all this sectors that contribute to the sustainability of our education system, which is the bedrock of our sustainability. Once we get that bit up and running, we are in a better position to compete with your Taiwans, with Singapore, with your Hong Kongs, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Those are kind of things that we want to see happening. We're going to have to leave it here, Lebuchan Munjani. Thank you very much for coming through. It has been absolutely pleasure having you we certainly benefited. I've certainly benefited in terms of my horizon and on the extent to which Isasa is contributing in the country economic trajectory. Thank you, Nimrod, and I wish you all wellness and health during this time. Thank you very much. There we are. Yeah, that's Lebuchar Munjan, who's an executive director at uh, Isasa, giving us insights on where the organization is sitting. We're going to have to do this again next week. Please be mindful of COVID. It's still amongst us. And for those that are going to read, for those that are going to vote, please go put your mark next to the party that has delivered.
not a party that has been playing lip service all along. I thank you and goodbye.